Thank you, Cody. Hi there, I'm Katie Reinhardt. I'm the women's pastor here at North Star. And I do want to say happy Mother's Day. I'm sure we have lots of mothers in here. I know this holiday can come with kind of feeling coarse for some. I know some are sending, about to send their first off to college. Some are feeling loss or grief. Even the, the, um, the comparison that comes in mothering, there can just be lots of hard. And so if you're in one of those spots, I just want you to hear this is a man-made holiday. Flush it. You don't, you don't need to sit on it. You don't need to be staying a fence on it, right? God sees you. You matter to him. He loves you, and he has a beautiful trajectory for your life. He can use any opportunity to deepen relationship with you, but all freedom to do that, right? And even though it is a man-made holiday, there, there's, there's value to honoring this role as mother, right? And so, um, yeah, today I, 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 was, I was thinking on, like, what, what is the authority that a mom has? You know, we... We name and we nurture and we navigate. We help we help others navigate. We, you know, as a, as we get our baby, as we adopt or have this baby, we get to name it literally. But also, there's power of life and death on our tongue, on our words, and so we get to speak life and identity into others. This is where spiritual mothering comes into place. We need you. We value you. We can nurture them um, to 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 see the Lord and and to know the Lord to to know again that true identity. And there's this, this opportunity of navigating into, um, into God's presence, helping to continue to press into presence. So I would love to pray over um, any, of the, any of the mamas in here. So this is, any, if you want to be blessed, open your hands and, and just come to receive. Um, if you want to be a mom one day, if you feel like that's part of the narrative that the Lord has on your life, receive. If, you, if you're a spiritual mother, receive. Um, I would just, yeah, I'm just going to pray over us here for a second. So Holy Father... Oh, thank you for this role. This is exhausting, but it's it's beautiful. There's, again, with this authority that we carry, um, Father God, I, I do. I pray that um, that you would, you would make space for us to offer our beauty, for us to offer um, even this intuitive sense that you created us with, this fierce devotion, this tender love for others. Um, man, I can, I can so easily, too easily operate in my weariness and what about me, my victim mentality, Lord? And, and you say, no, there's a better way. And so, Father God, would you pour into us? Would we continue to come to you and sit at your feet to receive from you so that what goes out, even in our exhaustion, is still beautiful? It's still this beautiful sacrifice that we get to offer. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray over um, every, single, every single mom in here, every single woman in here, um, and, and just pray for a more an increase of the honor of this role, Um, I want you to 
oftentimes, I don't know if this happens to you, but as I'm reading through the word, sometimes it feels like I'm looking through a bifocal or even a trifocal. I feel like this one, this one really is a trifocal. I confirmed with my optometry husband that the trifocal is a thing. Um, but we, we see this through three different lenses. This was written to a Jewish audience about a Jewish relationship. And so, so there's value there. Um, we, we, again, we've kind of rested a bit on that up to this point. The second one, we also see value for us in the, in the big C church today. He's talking to us here today. And finally, in the end times, there's value to the, the future narrative of Jesus coming back for his bride. Ellen and I did not touch base before this, but as, as she was sharing, I just had to kind of chuckle, like, Lord, you're so good to put this exact thing on her heart at the same time you're putting it on my heart to share and teach to all of us here. So praise the Lord for those little things. Um, but again, within that, that third context, that, that end time context, even in Revelation 19, it says that the church will be a prepared bride. She will be ready for him when, when Jesus comes at the end of the age. So as we read through this today, when you see husband, when you see um, the, the groom, I want you to think, God, this is Jesus. This is his role. And when we read bride or the bride, um, we, we want to read that into that, that the bride of Christ, the big C church, his people. Okay, so open your Bibles to, to Song of Solomon 8 if you have it. All right. So far, the, the section, um, again, we've seen this kind of this Jewish relationship go from courtship to the consummation of their marriage, we've seen the post-honeymoon phase and then the deepening of their marriage. That deepening of their marriage section ends at 8-4, so we're going to start at 8-5. And really highlight, again, it, it so specifically says what the nature of love looks like in those next couple verses. Um, I'll highlight those before, before Rusty will come up. So we start in 8-5, um, and you'll see the friends ask, Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? first time I read this, I read right past this and went to, to the other, uh, the, the next part, thinking that was the meat, but I feel like the Lord almost kept pulling me back to this verse here, and so I, I dug a little bit deeper, and so this actually circles back to a question that was asked in uh, Song of Solomon 3, 6, on the wedding day. The bride asks a, same, a similar question here, who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column or a cloud of smoke? That's kind of odd language, definitely not the language I used when, like, the doors opened on my wedding day and I saw Eric standing at the altar like, my cloud of smoke up there. I did not, that's, that's, I stood, yes, but not, not cloud of smoke. Um, so thinking of this overall narrative, there's going to be lots of odd things we read in poetry. I'm not like, I wish I was more versed in poetry. I'm not, there's lots of odd things in poetry, as well as the Bible. So as we are reading, as these strange kind of word pictures come up, be curious about it. See if it takes you somewhere else. And with this odd word picture, it actually did. Where else, as, as we zoom out, where else do we see like a cloud of smoke, a pillar of smoke? Anyone know it? Woo, Exodus. Okay, so so, G, so the Lord, he brings his people out of the, this, this slavery relationship with Egypt. But before their toes even touch the Red Sea, he starts declaring part of his character. It's almost like a reintroduction almost like a wedding for the Israel people, to God then. He is, he is noting himself as a leading presence for the Israelites. Um, and so we, we read this in Exodus 13. This is verse 21. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to guide them, to give them light, so that they could travel both day and night. 
So God would be this strong leader before they embark on this journey. He says, come follow me. I will pursue you. I will go before you. I will protect you and lead you and guide you. So then when we pop forward in this narrative to Song of Solomon 3, on her wedding day, when we see him coming up alone out of the wilderness as a pillar or a cloud of smoke here, what should it bring our minds to? And again, this is with that trifocal. This is, this is where the Jewish audience would have right away caught on and, and noticed this. We know that, that she is communicating, he is going to be a leader. He will go before me. He will protect me. He will guide me both day and night. I think that day and night is spiritual. I think it's the day or the easy times, and the night is when, man, we feel the compression. We feel the tightness. Um, he, he will lead me both day and night. Um, so it's, it's just this beautiful picture. So then we jump forward a little bit further in chapter 8, and we see again this question or this, this question coming up. Who's this coming up from the wilderness? But it's, it's her leaning on her beloved. It's a, it's a similar but different picture. This word picture now is that, that the bride, again, read the church into this. This is a big C church. The bride is now leaning on her, on her husband, on her, her Jesus as they're coming up out of the wilderness. Again, wilderness, we, if anyone married knows there are many wilderness moments and seasons and long, long seasons of wilderness, but they're coming up together. Beautiful, so beautiful. So again, with that third lens, that, 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 um, that last lens, thinking through the end times, this is a picture, just like we read from, from uh, Revelation 19, wherever it was, um, that, that she will be this prepared bride. We're seeing that, that this um, is the mature church. I think, again, big C church. This is the little C churches that are awake and alive and alert to the times, the ones that are cultivating a a, uh, this oil of intimacy, they're, they're cultivating this space and this fellowship with God. It's that bride partnered with this perfect Jesus, him probably with, still with the, with the holes in his hand. It's them coming up together. And that wilderness that they're talking about would then be this great tribulation that will happen in the future. Woo, this was like a big kairos for me, so you're getting, you're getting dumped on. So this this language of leaning uh, really, again, got me kind of thinking. And so, um, you know, when I was little, anyone that would ask me, what do, you, what do you want to be when you grow up? For some odd reason, it was a figure skater for me. I never once asked to take a lesson. I mean, I was, like, way amateur. Um, but that was, excuse me, going away. Um, that was, like, the one thing I wanted to do. That's when Nancy Kerrigan was so cool and beautiful, and I could... Me and my friend would be in the ice rink and like could just see them like throwing the roses down and we, we could picture in our minds all the triple axles we were actually doing, which I never got off the ground at all, you know. But I think of the, this progression of ice skating of, uh, you know, when you're first starting, you're leaning on your friend and you're like trying to not make them fall, but they're making you fall and trying to do that little dance there. Leaning on the wall, they now have those, those PVC like trainer kind of things that are very helpful. But then, you, you know, you go from that, like, clunky walk skating to then gliding a little bit and a little bit more independent with the movement. And then you go to, like, big old fancy movements, you know? And so, so as, I, as I have thought through, even in this, um, this, this performance-driven culture that we're in, uh, I, I think I, I kind of had a parallel between Christian maturity and, and maturing as a figure skater. It's kind of a silly little analogy there. But I think I thought, like, when I was a baby Christian, sure, I would need to lean on God and, 
really mature believers that are in my path and read the Bible a whole lot, sure, yeah, I would need that. I'm, I'm new to this whole thing. But as I progress, as I mature, I won't need it as much, and I won't need community. I won't need to hold on to community and, and, and um, lean on people that way. But as I've read through the Bible over these last years, decade, that's totally not what we see at all. That's not the narrative, the invitation that we see at all. We actually learn that we should be leaning more on him the more mature of a believer we become with him. And this is like so slipped around from our culture. Our culture is saying you're better off on your own. I won't sing that song. Um, it, you, the culture is saying God's not actually trustworthy. He'll come and go. Um, it, culture will say lean, lean back in fear. It feels more comfortable here than depending on someone. Culture will say um, even things like let go of him so you can control the situation a little bit more. It feels familiar. But if you're going to, if you've zoned out, pop back in at this point. If, if, if you, you have to hear, through our walk with, with the Lord, with, through our, our journey with him, there is no part that we can afford to not be leaning on him. Especially as times compress, contractions start, we have to be mature believers leaning on our beloved. Um, this is why almost, almost daily I practice benevolent detachment. It's a simple practice of saying, God, I give everyone and everything back to you. I give my kids and their, their, their things. I give my ministry. I give my family and my parents. I give my, my husband. I give these things back to you so that my arms are free, my heart is free to then hold and lean on to him. And I think we remain in this posture of leaning because he wants us to ascend with him. He's, he's taking us places. He's sanctifying us because then when we're with him, we're seeing what he's seeing. And we're hearing what he's hearing. We're walking in pace with him. Remember when Eric and I first started dating, I would like grab his hip and push it right into my hip so that we could even like walk together. That's the intimacy, the closeness that he wants with us. That's being this equally yoked. And if I can, if I can press just a little bit deeper into that, I, I think the Lord uh, really wants to, to eliminate the, the different false comforts, the different things that we're leaning on that we think are bringing us security, but actually are, are bringing probably false security. We read in our, in our Bible reading plan earlier this week, uh, Isaiah 2, we read, I think it was three different times in that chapter, he said, go low, stay humble. If you don't stay humble, I will make you humble. Uh, rid yourselves of all pride and of all arrogance. Strip yourself of these things so that you are dependent fully on me. I wonder if this is honestly part of the shaking that's going to happen that Revelation talks about, the, the shaking that's going to happen to the nations as we lead into Again, that third narrative, that end time narrative. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna transition to the, the next couple of verses here. So, um, Song of Solomon eight five, the second part of that verse says, "Under the apple tree I roused you. There, your mother conceived you. There, she who was in labor gave you birth." Happy Mother's Day, right? We all remember those moments. Whew. Um, this is a nod, um, probably back to the garden language. You were created. I was with you when you were created and conceived. I was with you when you were born, and I roused you, I awoke you. Next verse, 8, 6, the beginning part says, Set me as a seal over your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Seal here is the same word as signet, like a signet ring that a, a, a king would have, unique to himself. It would, it would be a, a piece that he would probably stamp into wax um, that, that would name protection 
and ownership and even a guarantee of the, the power of his kingdom backing whatever he was then sending. So here we see that the bride, the church, this big C church, is saying to Jesus, the beloved, let the core of my identity be your heart. Let what I am thinking be what you're thinking. Let what I am feeling be what you're feeling. Um, and and let, let your arm let, be a part of my ministry. Be set on my arm. The things that I'm doing, do those things as well. She is, she is restating the permanence of her, of her love, right? Next verse here, 8-6, the second part, says, For love is as strong as death. It is jealousy. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Lots of descriptors here. First one is death. What do we know about death? It is as strong as it is comprehensive. None of us are going to avoid it. It's coming. That's how deep and how fierce his love is for us. It's persistent. It keeps reaching out. And the, in my good days and my bad days and all, all the times, I, sometimes I, I think, like, surely I'm not worthy of your love now. Surely I, you've run out on me. And surely you're exhausted with me. He says, I am persistent. I will keep pursuing you. I will keep coming after you because I love you with all of my, all of my heart. Jesus' love for his bride, it's, it's, it's deep and wide. And I, I just, I, personally, I have spent so many hours in the thought loops of wondering, like, but it's, again, back to, back to what Edith, or Eve was, was thinking, like, but do you really love me? Like, could, could it really be that good? Um, and, and he's saying, yes, I am jealous for you. We just sang this. He's saying, I'm jealous for you. This is part of his character that we see, again, back in Exodus in, in um, verse four, uh, 34, 14. He says, I am a jealous God. I want all of you, not jealous as in coveting, but a jealousy of, of come and be fully, fully with me. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Think of like the, the California fire, fires. Those start with the spark. They spark, start with nothing, and they can turn into this mighty mighty flame that, that can't be extinguished. Um, oftentimes they have to wait those out, obviously, putting out where they can. But I think we, we, we truly need to be um, careful of how and where and with who we are allowing the spark of love to ignite with. Um, I, I think where, where your time is going, where, we're, where we are loving shows where we are leaning. Um, so I think we need to be highly attentive to that. The next verse, 8, 7, the first part says, Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. I love that water is eternal. We see this language in Revelation coming from his throne. Water is, his, his love for us is not finite, even, even specific just to this age. It's transcendent. It goes, and it, he, he's loving us um, supernaturally, permanently. I, again, things my mind can't even really, really circle around. In the last verse here, in 8-7, the second part, I want to give, uh, sorry, um, if one of you were to give all the wealth of his house uh, for love, it would be utterly scorned. Love can't be bought, it can't be sold. So much of love, love in these days is transactional. He is not transactional. He is a king with power, but he will not use that power to get something from you. That's transactional. That's mechanical. He, he is also this groom with desire, this, this, this groom who desires, um, I think of how Eric probably desired me on our wedding day. He desires in this way of, I want all of your heart, 
all the time, as, as often as I can. I want um, this, this increase of deep, dynamic relationship and fellowship with him. This is where we, we cultivate again that oil of intimacy that, that those virgins needed when the, when, the, the bride was, when the groom was coming. We need to be leaning on him. And you know, as I, as I again, fast forwarding all the way to the New Testament here, I, I think of who is the person that modeled this the most beautifully, of course. It's Jesus. He, he always leaned on God. He always modeled dependency on God. He was 100% God. He could have he done it all himself, cutting off that relationship. I don't know if he actually could have. That's probably totally contrary. But he, he always modeled leaning in to God the Father. And I think of the last gathering he had with his, with his disciples. He leaned so far that he was then kneeling in front of them, wiping off the grime and the dirt from their feet, showing and modeling servant leadership. And then he, he shared this meal and, and turned it on its head because now, now he was the ultimate sacrifice and he was the one who, um, who, who was modeling his love for us. And so Rusty's going to finish our, our morning out here um, and, and, and just even talk through a little bit more of that, of, of that uh, last supper and what that looks like. Communion is something we do here every, every gathering, but we're going we're gonna to offer it in a little bit of a different dynamic way here. Boy, she's good, huh? I think we ought to just let her stay up here and finish the hour. That might be the best move. Oh, can you hold this, Kitty? Don't call anybody. Uh, I love, uh, I just love listening to people open up the Bible and how it touches them. You know, for many years, uh, I've read it and lived in it, and I have this, I have this little um, thing about reading the Bible that I think is so important, because most of us read the Bible, and when we're at, some of us are on the reading plan, good for you, keep doing that. I want to encourage you, and I've said this before, I'll say it many times again, that when you read the Bible, read it to encounter Jesus, not just for information. When you read the text and say, what is, where's the living, breathing God in this moment, in this thing? You will find him interacting with you. And you will just, uh, you, you, will set, you will see things pop up, pop out uh, lots of times. You know, some years ago, journal, but 2001, I had this written down in my journal. I was reading through the Bible, much like our, our um, Bible plan inv invites us to, and I was in, I was reading, coming up to the Song of Solomon, and I had read through that many times before, quickly, because like you, it was filled with fragrances and body parts and things I just kind of, what's the part that gets me here? I couldn't get past this though. It was the song, my translation said, of all songs. And King Solomon was the king of all kings in, in, um, in, in Israel that day. He was like the prototype. He was like the messianic picture of what it was like. Israel grew all these different things. He wrote over a thousand songs, but he wrote this one and he called it, this is the song of all songs. When I read it, it didn't feel like a song of all songs to me. I couldn't quite get it. So I was reading it. And coming, I was in chapter 8, this passage, this verse we just got to. I was reading through this, reading, reading, and I got to Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6. And I felt that pause on my inside, just. So I waited. And I just thought, Lord, what does this mean? I don't quite understand bits and pieces of this. And, um, 
as I sat there in it, I felt like the Lord said, Russ, this is the hinge verse of the entire book. Song of Psalms 8 said, oh. So I waited in that a little bit longer. And uh, then I felt and heard my, I heard in my own heart, he says, my bride, the body of Christ, is going to be pursuing me like this verse is saying in the days when I come back to the earth. And that, I was like, whoa, really? I was in my own little room and immediately my thought came back to that passage when the disciples were standing on the Mount of Olives and they're watching Jesus ascend and they're watching him go up and up and up and up until he disappeared. And then it says in the text that there, there's angels standing next to them and they put their head down and they said, man, what are you looking for? It says, this same Jesus, whom you've seen lead this way, he will return in the very same way that you see him. And I, that stuff thrills me. And I, I'm happy to tell you, as Katie alluded to, our next series is going into Revelation with an emphasis on the return of Jesus. And I tell you, my heart thumps on that stuff. Because I don't think we talk about it near enough in the body, the people who love Jesus, that he's actually coming back. So I, I, heard, I read that verse again, set me. You mean, Jesus, that your people will be calling out to you? Jesus. Oh, be set on seal on my arm, which is the works of God. I want my works to be in total alignment with you. That will be normative in the days when Jesus comes back. That's how I heard it. That's how I felt it. It tugged me and pumped on my heart. And I said, oh, Lord, mark me with that. I, I want to be marked with that. I, I, I want that to be true. If what you said is so, I want to be alive in that place. Because who knows? I'm not sure when you're coming back, but I want to live like so, Lord, mark me for that. You know, and again, I hear this thought in my mind says, which says, I have marked you, and I will mark you. Essentially, I have and I will. That's what I heard. I have and I will. I didn't really understand that phrase, but I wrote it down in my, my journal, and I felt it this way. You know? But I, I have an unusual situation, maybe some of you have in this room, but I share a birthday with my own father. It's so cool. I like to say that when, we like to say in our family, when I was born, my father ceased to have birthdays. Because <laughs> that's kind of how it works, right? You know, every kid gets their own birthday, and that kind of takes over. August is our birthday. We were born on August the 6th. Eighth month, the sixth day. And then I was like, I was thinking about this. Ah, it's kind of interesting. Me and dad have always had that. My mother, one time, I was describing this. She said, oh, you know what's also interesting? He says, here it is on your birth certificate. She pulled out his birth certificate. He says, did you know what time of the day you were born? She says, you were born at 8.06 in the morning. Here it is. And I was like, oh, I have marked you, and I will mark you. You. It goes a little further. On that birth certificate also said how much I weighed. I weighed eight pounds and six ounces. <laughs> That's a big baby. That's a big baby. I have marked you. I will mark you. Song of Songs, 8-6, the hinge verse of the entire book. In the day that Jesus returns, the bride of Christ, I believe, 
asking the Lord with a whole heart and mind, send you, Jesus, a seal on my heart and on my works, O oh God. That is what the revelator, Revelation John wrote this, wrote about the people that overcome, they overcame by the word of God, by the testimony, by the blood of the Lamb, and they did not hide their life back so much as to give it up for dead. This is a lot what Song of Songs talks about. We're going to go into, uh, wow, here we are already, this series called Union. this next series of thinking about the days yet to come is to end with communion. It's something we are very familiar with. We do it every week in the front and in the back. And I will say that when you do something always and it becomes very familiar, you've heard me say, it's be, it becomes something that doesn't touch you nearly as deeply as perhaps it should. And so hopefully we can do it a little bit have a communion cup in your hand, right? Or you got one. I hope you got one coming in. If you didn't, maybe we can get one to you. Just hold it there for just a second. I've been reading a book uh, lately, and I won't go deep into this. If you're interested, I can talk to you later. It's called Keep the Blood Warm. And it's a man who's done a 50 or 40 day uh, uh, study on how to make the heart a devotional that keeps the heart describes how in the Old Testament when God was setting up the, uh, the, the, the prescribed way and rules for his people he put amongst them Levites, priests, who were to stand before the people and stand before God. And they had certain things to do. One was to, to do these sacrifices because the blood, without the it was stated in the scriptures, without the shedding of blood there was no remission of sin. There was no hope so there was various sacrificial ritual spaces done by the Levites, by the priests for the people to keep them in a consecrated place. One of those um, things that the, the Levites were to do is in the early morning, as things were just getting going, they'd get a one-year-old lamb and they would sacrifice it. I mean, it's, it's a brutal way, so it seems to us, because we're so far removed from things such as It consecrated the people. That was their job, to make them right 
And it made me think, you know, we come to the communion table so casually and so quickly in some cases. But we, we were steps, many steps removed from the power of this sacrifice of, of Jesus, who was the Lamb of God. Interesting little side note. I have a friend, a spiritual mentor of mine. His name is Mike Bickle. He told me once he said, you know, he says, you know, in Revelation 14, I think it is, describing the men and women who made it through the great challenging time. He says they will sing two songs. One, the song of Moses, which is a song of deliverance. You can find it in the Exodus, I think it is, 13, maybe 14. And the song of the Lamb, it says. But we don't have any record in the Bible of the song of the Lamb. Would it be interesting to think that the song of all songs put in the proper context, sung by a people leaning on their beloved, might be the song of the overcomers in that day. Revelations 15, go check it out. Maybe we'll see about that in the weeks to come. So here's how we want to do communion today. We've each had one of these. I'm going to ask us all to stand up. Stand up and um, so there's a little bit of a directions to this, so You'll have to listen to me, so don't presume you know what you're going to do. But uh, So I want you to turn to the person on your right. So you, I want you looking at two people face to face. You've come with somebody, but just look to someone. If you're open up, turn. We'll find someone who's open if you haven't. Yes, the band, you can come out now. <laughs> okay, face to face. Now, in scripture it says you are a holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus. That's the word coming here. Through Jesus we are offering up ourselves afresh. Listen to it in the, uh, just let me read Song of Songs 8-6 again. Set me or set me Jesus is saying set me as a seal upon your heart Set me, Jesus, as a seal upon the strength of your ministry, your work. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unwieldy as the grave. It burns like a fire, like the very fire of God. And many waters could not take it on, cannot quench it. Even if a river were to come down upon it, it wouldn't quench this kind of fire. Because it's a house for this, I would say no way. What I have is worth more than all that I could ever, you could ever give. And I want you to look at the person next to you and one's going to be the server and one's going to be the receiver. And then we're going to, so the server is going to serve while looking into the eyes of the person and repeating after me what I say. Then it will turn it on its head and the other will turn it back to you. This feels a little intimate when you're looking at the eyes, and it's quite uncomfortable, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it interesting that the intimacy that Jesus really desires for us and is demanding from us, that's what a song 8-6 is talking about, friends. I want you to look in the place and feel it. 
So the server, I want you to take the cup out of your the person in front of his hand and peel back the portion for the bread. And now I want you to just offer the, the cup to let them pick it out. And I want you to say this. This is the body of Jesus broken for you. Just a fraction of it different, Lord. Grab it, hold it, and place it on. 